well, saints. This morning, if you would please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 10. If you do not have a Bible with you, just raise your hand. We'll make sure that you get one. And if you don't own a Bible, simply keep this as our gift to you, um, that you can continue to look to this truth. You can continue to look into this, this amazing revelation of the heart of God and that you can continue to, to walk in what you know to be true. Last Wednesday, we completed the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, and this morning I want to look at just one portion, and it begins in John chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus makes this declaration, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I want you to understand that as the Lord is speaking, verse 27 tells who he's speaking to, where he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. Those who know the voice of their Savior, those who know the voice of their God, those who follow, as we'll look further on in the study, those who are abiding. And it's an amazing thing that those who hear his voice, those that know him, those are known by him, that he makes this declaration, I give them eternal life. That, that, is, that is life that is forever and ever and ever. And I want you to understand that he makes in this statement, I give them. He doesn't say you earn it. He doesn't say you merit it. He said it is a gift. I give you. It is simply a gift to anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, his finished work. He gives to them this gift. He, and this gift that he gives to them is in the scripture declared eternal life. And what we understand as we look to the doctrines of Scripture, this is called eternal security. This doctrine is something that flummoxes a lot of people because in the Scripture, there's this balance that is given. And understand the, the question that is in the Scripture that people sometimes get confused in is they sometimes mix up the understanding of the assurance of your salvation with the eternal salvation. Let me explain. Eternal salvation is just this. Jesus says, hey, this is it. You will have eternal life. The assurance of that is how we begin to have confidence in that. See, when we drift, when we're no longer abiding, when we're, when we're walking in sin, all of a sudden that assurance, it begins and scripture really tells you and kind of says, I want you to not have confidence in this eternal salvation because of the place you're walking in carnality and sin. 
And so when we walk in sin, when we practice sin, when we're walking, God doesn't want you to have a confidence. Oh, I can continue this path and know that I still have eternal life. That assurance begins to, in your own heart, in your own spirit, begins to make this incredible amount of warfare. It begins to bring a trepidation until what? Until you begin to walk that walk that God calls you. You're walking the word. You're walking the life. And all of a sudden, what? Oh, that assurance is back. That confidence is back. See, God wants us to live in a state of assurance of this truth of the eternal security. So when Jesus says, I give them eternal life, he's making the statement, it's a gift. And then he says this, after he says in verse 28, he says, I give them eternal life. He says this, they shall never perish. Now, just in case you haven't figured out what eternal life is, he gives you this next addendum. He says, you shall never perish. The, the Greek puts it this way. They shall certainly not perish forever. You know what that is? Eternal security. You are never going to perish. And then he says this. He says, no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Now, now, some people say, wait a second, no one other than me can snatch me out of my hands, but maybe I can jump out of his hands. <laughs> now, understand, no one simply means no one. That means including me. When I put my faith in Jesus Christ, this is it. And so understand that this eternal life, you have to understand that Scripture begins to say this, that this is basically outside of the reach of sinful man. We, we can't earn it. We can't attain it. We can't merit it. But it can be given as a gift. And when it's given as a gift, keep in mind, have you ever seen someone give you a gift and then say, wait a second, I need to take it back? No, <laughs> once it's a gift, it's yours. It's yours. And it's an amazing thing that what is scripture is declaring that we have this thing called eternal life. Now, after Jesus talks about his authority, talks about his omnipotence, that he is able through his authority and eternal, his omnipotence to give us this life, we shall never perish. He makes that statement, this is me. And then he says in his power, no one is able to snatch you out of my hand. And then in the next verse, he says, and no one's able to snatch you out of my father's hands. And he's greater than all. And so as we look to this, I want you to understand this doctrine of eternal security is something that is huge and for this morning, normally what happens is this. When we look to doctrine, we're going to look at just a couple of things and we try to, you know, ease our way into this. This is a doctrine that for you note takers, you're going to have a blessed day today. For those of you that are not note takers, you're going to struggle today. So what I'm going to ask is this. Follow along. Maybe jot down the, 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 the first key verses. I'll tell you key verse versus the verses. When there's a key verse, I'll, I'll let you know. But what's going to happen is this. The, the scripture itself is inundated. And although it's going to seem like a lot of scriptures this morning, you have to understand that I have only taken maybe about 
7% of all the passages that deal with eternal security. 7%. I've tried to weave this in through what I believe is the leading of the Spirit to something that we can grasp and stand on. But you have to understand that what I'm going to do is not just tell you that there's eternal life, but I'm going to let Scripture confirm and reconfirm and reconfirm and reconfirm these truths that we have eternal life. Now, what we're going to look at is this. We're going to look at, at basically the declaration that Scripture proclaims that we have eternal life. Then we're going to look at how it's possible. Then we're going to look at this. That understanding of why it's possible. We're going to call that the new nature. And then we're going to see that this new nature is, in fact, eternal and incorruptible so that you can understand what this eternal life that Jesus is speaking of, how he can declare it, and how can we can receive it. So, Initially, the key verse that I want you to do, and if you are, uh, you know, good, just turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This is one of those key verses. Now, Romans chapter 8, not only is it a key verse, but basically it's a key passage dealing with eternal security. Romans 8 begins in verse 1 to declare a powerful truth about us who have received Jesus Christ. And within this area of receiving Jesus Christ, he makes this statement in Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? No condemnation. That means that the handwriting of the required that was against us, he has taken it out of the way. He's nailed it to the cross that he has paid the price of, of our eternal salvation, that every sin that you would ever do, every sin that you've ever done, every sin that you're presently in, what the gospel of John says is he said at the end, he said, it's finished. It's done. Not I started it, now it's your job. It's already done. So understand that he makes a statement, there is now... There therefore now no condemnation is presently right now in your life. There's nothing that can condemn you. Why? Because you're dead to the law. And we'll look at that in just a minute, but there is no condemnation. And then when at the very end of the chapter, the other part of the sandwich, the bottom part, the top part is there's no condemnation. The bottom part is this. There in Romans 8, chapter 30, or chapter 8, verse 37 through 39, he says this, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You understand that the love that he's displayed, greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends, that he would pay the price, the, the full price of every sin that we are in are, would do and have done. That is paid. That's the love that God shows. 
Greater love hath any man that he would lay down his life and he would pay, pay the purchase price. He would take our sin upon himself, pay it in full, and give to us the robe of righteousness. Give to us the Holy Spirit, uh, security, something that is eternal, something that is incorruptible. And so we understand that, that we know there's no condemnation. Nothing can separate from the love of God. And then uniquely in the middle of this in Romans 8, verse 28, he goes on to speak through verse 30. He says this, Romans 8, 28, you know that. He says, I know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Everything is working to good. And you say, I don't think sin's working to go. Oh, everything is working to good. You have to understand, he goes on to say this. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, verse 30, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified. And then he says, whom he justified, these he also glorified. So understand that he makes this incredible statement for you and for me. He says, you have to understand, he, he knows. I, I love the fact in verse 29, he says, he knows, he foreknew, he knew you. He knew every sin that you would ever do. But he also knew this, that you would put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because he would give you this gift of faith. And, and he knows. And, and with that knowledge that he knows, he makes this statement. And I think this is so amazing. After he knows, he predestines. Do you know what that means? That you were predestined. That you were literally sealed before the foundation of the world. Before he even created everything. He had you in mind. He set his love upon you, and there was a redemption that was reserved for you there in heaven before he even created the world. And so understand that he talks about this beautiful thing that, that yes, he knows, he predestines you, and then the evidence of that is this. He said in verse 30, moreover whom he predestined, these he called. All of us have felt that calling of God, that, that yearning to get close to God. God says, come to me. Come close to me. I know you're hungry. I know you know there's something missing in your life, and it is me. Come to me. And there's this calling that he does, a yearning that you have to get right with a God who created you. And, and you begin to be aware of your, your sin. You begin to be aware of all those things that have separated you, that you don't have that intimacy and he says, and I've called you. Now, now you know that, that that yearning to just come close to God. But he says, but those who he called, he said he justified. You know what justified is? Just as if you've never sinned. That's an amazing thing. He has made you justified. He's made you just as if you've never sinned. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, now, this is incredible. The whole thing when he says it's glorified, you're glorified. It's in the present tense. He has glorified. In other words, understand that it's done. 
You are in a place of glory. And this is a work that's already been done. And so you look to this and you think, oh my goodness, Lord, this is absolutely amazing what you do, how you've done it. Now, I'm going to share with you just a couple of passages. These are for you note takers. Jot it down. For those of you not note takers, just listen carefully as I go through them. In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus makes this declaration. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Understand, he's making a simple statement in John 5, 24. And when he says most assuredly, it means truly, truly, verily, verily, I'm telling you, amen and amen, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me. You believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And he says, you're going to have everlasting life. You shall not come into judgment. You understand? He's going to say to the, to the sheep that know his voice, He's going to say, just come on in. Come on in to this place that is, is reserved from you for the foundations of the world. Come on in. Now, to the goats, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. But a beautiful thing that he says is that you have to understand that you will not have judgment because you have already passed from death into life. We were born in death. We were born in this sin nature. And understand that as we're born in that sin nature, I just want to read you one passage. It, it declares this in Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read the first three verses. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once all conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the other. We covered that last week. All of us had a nature. All of us, literally, our nature was an enmity with God, but he, through his grace, would give us a new nature. And this is what Jesus is saying. You passed from death, this old nature, into life that you've received this new nature. In John chapter 6, I want to read to you verse 37 through 40, and then I'm going to jump to verse 47. But in John 6, beginning in verse 37, he makes this declaration, all that the Father gives me will come to me. In other words, you're predestined. He gives you a calling. You're going to come to receive the work of Jesus Christ as, as that confidence that your sin is forgiven. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So understand, both are true. The Father gives, and we come. So all of a sudden, keep in mind that you, someone says, well, you have to come, you have to receive. Yes, you do. But when you come, you receive, wow, God, you've already given me to the Son. Both are true. God predestines us, he calls us, he gives us the faith, but we have to 
literally on this side, acknowledge Jesus, acknowledge his death, accept his death for ours. With the mouth, confession is made, but with the heart, it's you believe. And so it's important to believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, that's coming to God. But he makes this statement there, right after he declares there in John 637, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Everyone who gives... I'm not going to lose, but I'm going to raise it up. Something unique and something different. He doesn't say I'm going to raise them up. I'm going to raise it up. What is he talking about? In a sense, as we're going to look about a little further on the thing, it is the new nature. It's the new us. He doesn't raise up the body that is in corruption. He changes this body, which is in corruption. The body is going to change, which is corruptible into something that is in corruption. Do you understand? That's what is eternal. And as we go through, which is such a beautiful thing, and and as he, he makes that statement, verse 40, he says, John 6, 40, and this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So there's this new nature, and that's a part of the the who, what makes us now, and he's going to raise that up. And then he says in verse 47, most assuredly, truly, truly, amen and amen, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. This is the key. This is where it all boils down. Now, there's a passage in Philippians 1.6. I want to just simply share it to you because as, as we look to the, the, the heart of God, this is going to be key. He says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So what you're experiencing is this. He's begun a good work, and right now in our lives, we're experiencing that work still being brought to fruition, you know, to completion. It's one of those things where you say, you've begun a good work, but why am I struggling? Because the work isn't done. See, he who's begun this good work in you, what he says is this, will complete it, you will be continuing to mature in it, mature and mature in it, and you're not going to have it absolutely complete until the day of Jesus Christ when he comes and redeems us, when he comes and changes us. This is where it all boils down. So keep in mind that as we begin to see here the, the work of God and the heart of God, he simply goes on and again and again makes those declarations. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, I want to read to you verses 12 through 14. Paul makes this declaration, 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. He says this, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded, he says, 
in verse 12, that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. In other words, that part of, of my soul is, it's, it's yours, God. He's able to now make that new with the Holy Spirit. He's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. And then he continues on and he makes this declaration. He says, so hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love in Christ Jesus. That good thing which is committed to you kept by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Do you understand this keeping is not you and me. The keeping is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, I've got you now. I'm in you now. And guess what? I'm not going to let go. And the Son is not going to let go. And the Father is not going to let go. Do you understand? No one is able to snatch you out of the Son's hands or the Father's hands. And the Holy Spirit is going to keep you. He solidifies you just so beautifully, so perfectly. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to read verses 3 through 5 so you can kind of understand but Peter makes this declaration, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. You understand that he now begins to say, Listen, there is going to be this new thing that happens within us. And so he says he has begotten us again. In other words, that you're born again. You have the old nature. You're now going to have this new nature. He has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he goes on in verse 4 to make this statement. He says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And then he says this in verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith. Do you understand that you realize that my security is not me? It's the Holy Spirit. It's God who keeps me. It's God who seals me. And I love this because he says in 1 Peter 1.5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the heart of God. This is what it's all about. In Jude chapter 1, verse 24, he simply makes this declaration. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion, power, both now and forever. You understand, he says, he's able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to present you faultless. This is so amazing because what God sees is not that which is the old man. He sees that which is incorruptible. He sees the Holy Spirit. He sees us in Jesus Christ. And when you're in Jesus Christ, guess what the Father sees? He sees the righteousness of Jesus, not us. See, keep in mind that when, when we receive Christ, this is his promise. This is his work. And he's able to keep us from stumbling. He's able to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Do you understand? God says, man, I can't wait. I can't wait, Jesus, to present you before my Father in me. 
this is, and he's going to see me and he's going to see you through the lens of my righteousness. This is beautiful. And this is the promise. So how is this possible that God says that you and I have the security that over and over again, the, the, the scriptures declare this in so many ways. Well, it's possible because we have two natures. What I want to do is this. I want to share with you just a passage found in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 17. And all it does is declare that we have these two natures. It says this, for the lust, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so you do not do the things that you wish. So understand that we have this, this old nature called the flesh, our carnality. But then we have this new nature called the spirit. And he says the flesh, the flesh lusts against the spirit. It wars against the spirit. The spirit wars against the flesh. And these two are contrary. They're battling. Now understand that if in your life that you are experiencing a battle a battle that, that you recognize I am there. Sometimes I find myself winning. There's sometimes I find myself losing. I know there's a battle that rages inside me. Understand that if you do not have a new nature, you aren't going to have a battle because then you just have the flesh. And, and, and understand that the, the flesh doesn't war against the flesh. The flesh just gives in to the flesh. That's what it does. But once you have the spirit, the new nature, all of a sudden then becomes a battle. And within that battle, it's one of those things where in the book of Romans, this is one of those key verses I want to share with you. In Romans chapter 7, it makes this declaration. It's a beautiful declaration, but he, he declares this. In Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, Paul says this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. There's a spiritual direction that I'm called to. There's a carnal nature that I'm given into. The law is spiritual, he says, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. This is my old nature. For what I am doing, verse 15, I do not understand. For what I will to do, I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. Now, maybe you have found yourself in that kind of predicament. Now, this is Paul, the apostle, writing this. This isn't Lowell writing this, which I could, but this is Paul. He makes a statement. He says, you have to understand. He says, what I'm doing, I don't even understand it. I don't follow why this has to be. What I will to do, what I want my life to be and to, to glorify God, I don't do, but that which I hate that I do. Verse 16, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. If I'm doing these things that I don't want to do, I know that the law is right because I don't want to do it. This new nature in me is not comfortable continuing in that lifestyle. Verse 17, but now it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin. You understand. He says, it's not I 
I have this new nature, but my old nature, that of the flesh, that of the sin, continues to do these things. The new me, the born again me, the one that doesn't want to do these things, I'm now warring against it. So he says it's not the new me that does it, it's the old me that does it. And so he says, now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present within me. I, my spirit wants to do what is good, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good. There's a law that I have this old nature that continues to go into sin. I have a new nature that wants to have this, this glorifying of God. And then he makes a statement, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. There's this new part of my spirit that loves the law. It's not where if I do the law, my life is going to be miserable. But when I do the law, I have intimacy with God. When I do what he has declared as the revelation of his heart, I find joy in my life. I find peace in my life. I find all these things. And this is why he makes this statement. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. I want to do these things because every time I, I walk in the will of God, he just, I get closer to him and find more intimacy with him and, and a greater relationship with him. These are the things that I want. And so no longer is the law something that just condemns me, but now the law is something that reminds me of his heart. I want to do these things not because I have to, not because it earns me a place, because the law simply condemned me, but now the old me is dead to that law. The new me sees the law in a whole nother light. This is direction to your heart. I want to do those things. And then he says this, verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. Now there is this new nature, but this other law brings me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. The old me, the flesh, still goes to that law and breaks the law, is in rebellion against the law. Remember, we already read that passage in Ephesians 2, verse 3, where he made that declaration. He said, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of our mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the other. None of us were righteous, no, not one. And so as he comes through, then he says in Romans 7, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. That now this new renewing of my mind, this new direction of, of God implanting light into where there was darkness, life to where there was death. He now, it's the renewing of my mind. His word renews me and encourages me and changes me. This law which condemned me now teaches me how to walk in intimacy with God. And it's a glorious thing that we look to this. And so as we see that, Romans 8.23 makes this statement. 
this incredible thing. He says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. He says, this body of flesh that constantly wars against the spirit, this body of the flesh is going to be changed. This body is going to die. And so, incredibly, as we begin to see, he says, we groan, we eagerly await for this redemption of our bodies. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he makes this statement. I want you to just hear this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Do you understand it's a process? My body is dying. Slowly but surely, my body is dying. And, and we may think, no, it's not. Well, the older you get, the more you realize, oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. This body isn't young and youthful like it used to be. It's beginning to fall apart. And eventually this body that is falling apart is going to end. This body of the flesh is, is going to die. And that's the huge declaration. But he says this, don't lose heart. Don't worry about your body dying. It's supposed to die. Because when the body is dying... The inward man, this new man, is being renewed. Every day, his mercies are new. Every day, he begins to redirect us. Every day, I'm growing and I'm maturing. This is that incredible walk with God. My body's dying. My spirit is growing. I'm growing closer to God and closer to God and understanding God. And I'm seeing his heart and I'm understanding his will. This is the key. In Colossians 1, verse 21 through 23, he makes this statement. He said, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, now, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, for of which I, Paul, became a minister. He talks about the, the renewal that we have, the hope that we have is in the gospel. The gospel is what? God so loved the sinful man that he would give his son to die on the cross, and whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the good news. You stick to that. You stick to Jesus. My salvation is in you. Now understand, my salvation was never because of works. We've been saved through grace. That's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's simply a gift of God. Now, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Works will follow the, the salvation. It's a response that we have because of the salvation. But it isn't earned because of salvation. And so understand that this whole area, I love the fact, he says, that we're, we're, we're set on what? The work of Jesus Christ, not on my works. And if I'm not saved by works, guess what? I can't be unsaved by bad works. 
So often we think, well, I'm saved by good works. No, you're not. Because if you're saved by good works, you could be unsaved by bad works. And note note this, that when you weigh the two out, no matter how you think of it, God's going to tell you this, you fail. Your sin nature just overcompensates that, that you owe God a debt that you could never repay. But he says, don't worry about it. Why? I've forgiven you the debt. I've forgiven you the debt. You have to pay nothing. You could not even begin to pay on it. And so I've forgiven you the debt. An absolute beautiful thing that he begins to portray, that he begins to declare. And so as we look to this, it's such a beautiful passage that we begin to see. Now, in the book of Philippians, I want to read to you just a couple of verses. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20 through 22, makes this declaration. He says this. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 24, our citizenship is in heaven from, for, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, I'm already a citizen. I'm already sealed in heaven. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, which we eagerly wait for the Savior who will transform, verse 21, our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Do you understand? He's going to take this body of flesh, which is corrupted, and he's going to transform it so beautifully and so it may be conformed into his glorious body. Do you know what that's saying? That we become a part of him. We become a part of who he is. Just like whatever you eat becomes a part of your body. It becomes a part of that. And, and so we recognize that we're going to be conformed into his glorious body according to the workings by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He's the one who does this. He's the one who works this. And this is the heart of what the gospel declares. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is one of those key verses, if you can turn in your Bibles there, the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he begins in Verse 50 to say this, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. This body cannot get to heaven. This body of flesh that I was warring against my new spirit cannot get into heaven. So as he says, this that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does this corruption inherit incorruption and then he says in verse 51 and this is key behold i tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruption must put on incorruption this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruption has put on incorruption this mortal has put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death us being separated from God is swallowed up in victory, eternal security. This is so incredible. And then he says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the key. That you and I are being changed. 
And at the very end, now we're being changed, which is why we're still warring. But at the very end, guess what? We're changed completely by that work of Jesus Christ. We're changed. This corruption puts on incorruption. This mortal puts on immortality. And that which is of the spirit, that which is now the new spirit in me, the awakening of the spirit in me, that which is eternal, gets what? That goes to heaven. And this flesh does not. So this is where that struggle comes in because we re recognize how is it possible that we can be guaranteed eternal life because the spirit in it creates a new us, an awakening us, a rebirth in us. Now I have a new nature. This new nature is eternal. This flesh is not going to be that. And so understand that when it comes to this area of this new nature, Remember what Jesus spoke to Nicodemus there at the beginning of the gospel of John chapter 3. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus there in John 3 verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said, most assuredly, in other words, verily, verily, truly, truly, amen and amen. He says, you're a teacher of God. And what is Jesus? He says, oh, thank you for noticing. No, he doesn't. He said, I need to tell you something. You said I'm a teacher of God, but what I need to do is this. Don't worry about me. You need to look at you. And so Jesus says, I say to you, the very first words out of Jesus' mouth to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't be remodeled. You have to be torn down, absolutely destroyed, and remade. This is it. It's a brand new you. You can't take the old and transform it. You take the new... This is the new, and then you build on that. That's the transformation that God sees, that now your works are no longer the flesh, but your works are now the spirit. And this is that transformation, not, not the old becoming new, but the old dying, the new growing. And this is why he says you have to be born again. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus in verse 4 says, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you have to have a natural birth, but you also have the spiritual birth. That which is born of the flesh, the natural is flesh. That which is born of the spirit, the spiritual is spirit. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. This is the heart. We have to be born again. And there's no other options that you can do. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, John says in his epistle, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who loves him, who, also, who begot, also loves him who is begotten. In other words, you love Jesus. You love God. And, and he simply says, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're born. If you put your faith in the finished work that Jesus, God, came to earth, paid the price of my sins, you now get this new nature. It's a gift through simply believing. And I love the fact that this is what he makes that declaration. It's such a beautiful declaration that he 
is stating. And then in 1 Corinthians, I want to share with you one other passage here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, one that you guys know, I know, but he makes this, this declaration. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're born again. He says, if anyone in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things, everything in my old nature is passed away. Now, God sees it as already done. We see it, it's passing away. But God says, it's passed away because I already have guaranteed you in heaven. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I have a new nature, a new desire, a new things that I want to do. This is that heart. This is what I want. So I want you to see that what is needed is this. First and foremost is that we recognize there are two natures. The old nature is passing away. But in Ephesians chapter 1, it declares this. I want to read verses 13 and 14. He says this, So then it has become evident to the whole... Wait, that's in Philippians. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, he makes this declaration. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of your purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So he makes this statement. He said, you have to understand. I love the heart of it because he says, you who you trusted after you heard the word of truth, and you heard the gospel, you received it, you believed it, the gospel of your salvation, after you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, now you have this new nature that comes And within this new nature, so beautifully, he says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of your purchased possession. He is that guarantee. He's the surety. He's the down payment that here the Lord begins to say, you are sealed. In Ephesians 1 verse 18, he says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? He said, you have to understand that once you are called, you have this incredible inheritance that comes. The inheritance that come in in Ephesians 1 verse 5 says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus to himself. So now he says, you've been adopted. In verse 11, he says, in him, we've also obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We begin to see that we are sealed, that we are locked in. And and this is where it is when we have this new nature. Now, as a new nature, you have to understand that there are certain truths that come about with this new nature. Paul makes a statement, and I want to read it to you. Jot it down if you're a note taker, because this is just an important one to, to grasp. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, he makes this statement. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but all things do not edify. Do you understand that he makes this statement, says everything that is in, in life is lawful for me. That there is nothing, nothing that is sin anymore because now I recognize I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. I know this is the reality. And so he says, all things are lawful. In Galatians chapter three, 
verse 23 through 27. Let me read this to you. It makes this statement. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law only drives you to Christ that you can come by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. Once we believe in Jesus Christ, we're no longer under the law. So there is no law that you and I can do to separate us from God because we're not under that law. We're already sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have this new nature. And within this, it's so beautiful that he begins now, and I want to share with you in Romans or in Galatians 3, looking at verse 25, but after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you, verse 26, are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many as you as are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is the key and this is the heart that we who are in God, we who are in Christ, that we have this understanding of who Jesus is. In Romans chapter 10, verse 4, he makes this statement, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. You understand? In him, the law is ended. In him, it is no more. This is the heart. And so what we do as Christians is we recognize I'm no longer under the law, but what I desire is this new man desires intimacy with God. And that's why there's that passage in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 10 that makes a statement. And have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Every day I'm drawing, I'm becoming more and more in the image of Christ. Where he says in verse 11, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, or slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. No longer are we separate, but we put on this new man. And he says in, in Galatians 3 verse 10, and having put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him. We put on this new man. It's renewed in this knowledge that every day I'm being made more and more into the image of Christ. And this is the key. Why we can say that we have eternal security because it's not this flesh that is going to inherit eternal life. It's the new me. It's the spirit that grows in me. That's going to be eternal. And Jesus knows everyone to whom the spirit is in. And when you have this spirit, understand that because of that spirit, you're going to be drawn closer to God and closer to God. And you're going to be warring with your flesh. I don't want to do this. I do want to do this. But the victory comes what? The victory comes not that we want it, not that we desire it. The victory comes through whichever nature you're feeding. I, I loved as we were going through the, 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 the proverb this morning, as we were reading through it, that it makes a statement, and it's so incredible. But in, in Proverbs 4, verse 25, it's let your eyes look straight ahead and, and your eyelids look right before you that I want you to focus on what is true. When you focus on the word of God, when you focus on what is true and you're looking to the heart of God, all those things become what? It becomes evident. And this is the heart to know that we can say that we have eternal life. But understand, your choices that you make today, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, it doesn't determine 
your salvation, but it does determine the amount of intimacy you have with God. The, the experiencing of fellowship that you have with God. And when you no longer experience intimacy, when you no longer experience fellowship, that is where the assurance of your salvation comes into play. That is where I'm not assured. And when you're not assured, God says, I want you to be assured. How do you do that? Repent from your sin, walk in holiness. You, you, you delight in that law because it draws me closer to God. This is the heart. And I want to share with you just a couple of passages as I begin to just wrap up this, this, this direction this morning. Is understand that David, who is the sweet psalmist of Israel, David, who was the man after God's own heart. Now, now keep in mind that when he called David a man after God's own heart, he did it before he even called him into the ministry. Now, David was already the sweet psalmist. But what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, he says, But now, he says to Saul, your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commanded, a commander over his people, because you've not kept what the Lord commanded you. All of us is, I'm going to call David because he's going to do what I commanded him. But what does David do? After he's a king, once he realizes, I don't have to go to war. I don't have to battle like I should be battling. And isn't that true as a Christian? As soon as we think, I don't need to battle my flesh, what happens? It rears up and it has a victory. But every day it's like, Lord, I need to battle this flesh. You need to win. I need to feed the spirit. I need to look to your truth. I need to look to your heart. Then my spirit is strengthened. My flesh is weakened. And I can walk those things that you've called me to walk. But David himself would commit adultery with Bathsheba. He would commit murder as he would murder Uriah the Hittite and those other men who Joab sent to the wall with Uriah the Hittite. They would all die at the command of the king. And what would David do? Well, in this beautiful psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, where he says, Oh my goodness, I, I am such a wretched man. This is the, 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 the psalm that he wrote after Nathan came to him and said, David, you're the man. You are the sinful man. You're the one that you just declared you should die. But David says this in, in Psalm 51, verse 12. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Do you understand? He said, give me salvation again. David could commit adultery. David could murder, and yet David could, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Do you understand? He hadn't lost it. He just lost intimacy, and he wants joy back in his life. And that joy, he, God says, yeah, you can have this joy back in your life. I will give you this joy back in your life. And when you look to that, it's so incredible to see how it is that, that God does that work. Remember there in the book of Genesis, there was a man by the name of Lot. And this man, Lot, was there living in Sodom and Gomorrah. He was living there in Sodom, and he tells the, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, hey, take my two daughters. They've never known a man. Do anything you want with them. 
And, and as Lot begins to do that, Peter says something amazing in his second epistle. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, he says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who would afterward live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot. I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for Peter saying he delivered righteous Lot, I could read Genesis and not believe that Lot was saved. But he goes on to say, not only did he deliver a righteous lot who was oppressed by filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day seeing and hearing the lawless deeds. When you give yourself over to the world and you're putting yourself in the practices of the world, you are tormenting your soul. You're wrestling with things. Why, oh, why? Like Paul, I'm doing what I don't want to do because you're feeding that flesh. You're putting yourself in that place. And if you don't put yourself in that place, guess what? You're going to be experiencing the joy of God. And this is that whole thing. I want you to understand that when Jesus makes this declaration, I give them eternal life. Now you understand doctrinally what it is to stand on so that no one can tell you, no, you don't have it. Oh, you lost your salvation. I can't because the salvation is the birth of a new man. The new man is eternal. The new man is incorruptible. The new man, Jesus says, I'm going to just change the old. It's going to be changed in a moment in twinkling of an eye. You shall be changed. And this new man is going to come. And so may us as Christians that you walk in the newness of the spirit. Don't, don't walk in the flesh. Don't walk and, and torment your soul. Don't walk where you're now struggling. Why does my flesh have such strength over me? Why does it have such dominance over me? It's because you're feeding it. But understand, God still sees you, and, I'm, and you can put your own name in there as what? As righteous. He says lot, but you can put your own name in there. But you can have your, your righteous soul tormented day and night, or you could do what? Or you could be like David, hey, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. David would make this statement in that time that he tried to hide his sin. He said, I was dried up like a potsherd. There was no soundness in my flesh. I was a miserable man, but you could restore the joy of my salvation as I walk with you. And what a beautiful thing that we can come to this point of saying, Lord, I know I'm secure. Not because of what my flesh does, but because I recognize that which is eternal is the spirit that you put in me. I'm experiencing you and I'm experiencing your heart. I'm experiencing that life. And so with that, may we as Christians walk in the newness of what God has opened up as far as this is my spirit. This is who I am. Amen. Amen. Father, we are so grateful. So grateful. Not, not that we had to go through all the scriptures, but that there's a, a balance, a foundation that your word teaches of eternal life. And that we don't have to be confused. That we don't have to be tormented. And Father, with this life that you've given us, I want you to truly, Lord, by your spirit, draw us into that place of intimacy. A place of just sincere fellowship. And that's as we look to you. Look to your word. Look to your heart. Look to this law that now reveals you and reveals where we need to be to experience your pleasure. So draw us to that end. 
Thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you, Lord, for your heart. Thank you for the confidence that we as your people do not have to worry that, yes, every time we've sinned or we're struggling with our flesh that we've lost our salvation, but we can realize, oh, I know what's going on. I'm being tormented because I'm feeding my flesh. And so we repent and we turn and we feed our spirit and we look to you. And again, the joy of our salvation as we come near to you is fulfilling us and blessing us. Draw us to this truth. Anchor us in your heart. We ask it in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, amen. amen.